Hello everyone, welcome to the second episode of Kumusta Kumare, Natisev Bersama-sama Project Philippine Teams Podcast. Kumusta mga kumare? I'm Mira Yusuf, based here in Iowa, and can't wait to do a lot of stuff when we can safely travel and be with the other folks. I'm Rochelle Aguilar, literally hot and bothered here in Angeles City. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was too fun. That was fun. Sorry, Joseph. And I'm Emma. Lockdown, but my mind, heart, and spirit still roam wild and free here in South Luzon. <laughs> Napisev, or the National Asian and Pacific Islander Ending Sexual Violence, is a U.S.-based organization, and our mission is to end sexual violence in the Asian and Pacific Islander mm. communities and build healthy communities through transformative justice and social change. Last year, we started the Bersama Sama project in the Philippines, Indonesia, and Guam in order for immigrant refugee settler communities from Asia and the Pacific to connect to their home countries. By building this relationship, communities will be able to both reconnect with traditional cultural practices and share movement building strategies. In this episode, we're diving deep into the nuts and bolts of organizing women-led community kitchens while in lockdown, Bayanihan style. Emma, our in-house food historian, Sarda, will share with us how they're able to operate community kitchens in several workers' communities surrounding the export processing zones in Laguna. Joining us also is women and children's rights activist, Dimple Paz of Lingap Gabriela, and a volunteer of Bayanihang Maritenya Maritenyo and who, together with nine other volunteers, were arrested and detained on May 1st, Labor Day for supposedly violating the lockdown orders while serving food for public utility jeepney and pedicab drivers who were not able to work due to their lockdown. More about their story later. Before we proceed with the main segment of this episode, a brief update on the latest news in the Philippines. As of May 23, the Department of Health of the Philippines has reported that there are 13,777 confirmed COVID-19 cases, roughly 7,000 more cases, and 401 more deaths from last month, April 23, despite the hard lockdown in Luzon. The death toll is now at 863 with over 50% declared posthumously. There are also 25,048 suspected and 803 probable cases. Meanwhile, an independent local COVID-19 monitor, covid19stats.ph, which gets their data from Johns Hopkins Corona Resource Center and a DOH NCOV tracker, shows that there are 20,264 reported positive cases with a discrepancy of over 6,000 due to laboratory case validation and processing backlogs. The tracker also noted that there are 9.87 average days of delays in the DOH reporting on the number of deaths. Earlier this month, a team of experts from the University of the Philippines UP COVID-19 Pandemic Response Team pointed out alarming errors and inconsistencies in DOH reports and called on the government to make COVID-19 data more accessible to stakeholders for cross-validation. The availability of accurate, relevant, and timely data is a basic requirement in managing a pandemic, the team said. Data issues must be resolved as soon as possible to secure public trust in the plans, decisions, and pronouncements of the government and its private partners, the team added. Despite the two-month government-imposed lockdown, The extent of actual COVID-19 infection among the general population continues to be a guessing game as no national level mass testing has been conducted or even in the works. And as President Duterte ordered the lifting of the enhanced community quarantine for most of Luzon on May 15th, easing restrictions on the operations of some non-essential industries, 
Millions of workers with mounting debts and unpaid bills started reporting to work on Monday, May 17th. Despite health and safety concerns and burden in work commutes as public transport remains suspended. The DOH remains firm on the policy of performing tests only on those with symptoms and does not require employers to have their employees undergo testing. To date, there are only 39 accredited COVID-19 testing laboratories in the Philippines and only 0.25% of the population have been tested for the deadly virus. Meanwhile, Rappler earlier this week ran a story on how women working in the sex trade were forced by some police officers to perform sexual acts and get a share of their income in exchange for quarantine passes and transportation to get to their customers. To make matters worse, their customers have begun paying less than their usual rate, from $40 to now $5. The same report narrated how more and more women and men are now forced into prostitution to survive the lockdown. In 2018, an estimated 800,000 Filipino women, men, and children were in the sex trade. At our first podcast, we discussed how COVID-19 had affected women and girls in the Philippines. And we also raised money in the U.S. to distribute food and sanitation packages to women who are heads of households and most affected by COVID-19 in Angeles, Pampanga, and Southern Luzon. And with this effort, Emma organized a community kitchen as a way to share food and also to build community. But Emma's work is not new. There are other individuals and organizations who have been hosting community kitchens across the National Capital Region or Metro Manila, Quezon City area, and also across the Philippines. So for our second podcast, we thought that we should highlight this Bayanian spirit of community kitchen and highlighting Filipino traditions that we need to continue and support. When folks here in the United States talk about mutual aid, We Filipinos have been practicing this prior to colonization, and it is deeply embedded in our soul and spirit, and it's also good to talk about the positive in these difficult times. So what is our version of Community Kitchen, and how is it different from a U.S. or Western-style soup kitchen? I think the big difference between what I know about soup kitchens in the West and the Filipino community kitchen is um, community kitchens are seen as for homeless people, to me, very charity-based. But as I research about the history of soup kitchens, I found out that first, it's called soup kitchen because what was served was soup and bread because it was easier and cheaper, right? And then second, the so-called first soup kitchen was during the Depression in the United States, and that the notorious gangster Al Capone, to so-called clean up his image, started the first soup kitchen in the United States. But in general, churches and private charities run the first soup kitchens in the United States, and this continues until today. But then, feeding the people, but specifically children, was also organized by the Black Panthers in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Feeding children in the morning then became a practice in the United States public school system. So this practice came from a radical uh, Black liberation organization called Black Panthers. And then all of a sudden, it became mainstream that even the public system in the United States implemented it because it works. Then in the late 1980s, I remember Food Not Bombs in San Francisco when I was living in San Francisco, where vegan or vegetarian food is served as a protest against war and poverty. I remember going to those kitchens hosted by Food Not Bombs members in the Mission District in in San Francisco. So the Black Panther and Food Not Bombs method in serving the people by feeding healthy food and not based on charity, a strategy for community organizing. And this is how I see what you are all doing in the community. It is not charity-based, but it's community building. Emma, what do you think? Yes, I totally agree with you, Mira. It is not charity. Community Kitchen is an integral part in community building. And from my experience, it assumed an important role in organizing communities. Unfortunately, not much is written or said about community kitchens. How and when did it really start? 
what is its role in shaping our history? What is its role in the struggle of our people? Food production and appropriation, preparation and consumption prehistorically has been communal. Our ancestors gather fruits, hunt wild animals in groups for their safety. Whatever food they have, they share. But when private households and communal appropriation is no longer practiced, the least appropriated members of the villages have to cook and share whatever little food they have. The uh, encomienda system enforced by the Spanish colonizers during the 16th century made rice our staple food as the form of tax to the colonial government. Encomiendas were soon transformed into haciendas to meet the needs of the global market. Then farming of rice and vegetables were prohibited. Only sugar, tobacco, and other export goods were allowed. The natives have to secretly plant tomatoes, eggplants, bitter gourd, string beans, okra, and spinach in small patches of land in their backyards or in between the acres of tobacco plantations. This is how pakbet, a native Ilocano dish, which is stew of these vegetables, was born. Villagers, at the end of backbreaking work in the haciendas, share meals they collectively produced and cooked after cooking paella, caldereta, and chicken galantina for the colonizers during fiestas, native gather to cook whatever parts of animals that are left to them. We can safely guess that it was during these meals that the possibility of revolting against the colonizers were secretly, secretly discussed and debated on. When the Americans came, the Western concept of hygiene was rammed down our throats. They gave names to germs and bugs, causing the illnesses of U.S. troops and officials, but do not seem to be bothering the natives, of course. Processed food, refrigerators, and stoves, and every surplus product in the U.S. became a symbol of cleanliness and modernity. And a woman who has these things is an example of an ideal housewife. On the contrary, a woman who is too poor to own them is as unclean as the food that she prepares. And now, here we are, a divided, starving nation, ironically known for our love for food and fiestas. But are communal kitchens a thing of the past? No. Community kitchens are gaining popularity among communities devastated by natural calamities and man-made disasters. As different social movements in the country are gaining strength, they are rediscovering community kitchens as an essential aspect in building and strengthening communities to face or overcome a common difficulty or in some cases, a common adversary. Uh, if you visit workers' picket lines or peasant protest camps here in the Philippines, they all have communal kitchens. Many stories about individual or collective struggles and triumphs are shared and passed on in these kitchens. You may have sharp knives and bolos, crackling wood fire in the kitchen, but it is always a safe place to express your thoughts or share your secrets. I can say that community kitchens is a must and a means to survive. Historically and up to a certain extent, it is an act of dissent. During this time of lockdown, when physical distancing can easily be misconstrued as social distancing, it became a venue for social solidarity. When everyone is told to wait in silence for the government to get its acts together, it has become and claimed open spaces, literally and figuratively. The way that you are sharing that story about like pre-colonial, about communal kitchen, I, it's so wonderful that I'm wondering can anyone just start a community kitchen? And what are the requirements if they are interested in continuing this really wonderful liberatory practice? Well, it's not that complicated. First, you just need to identify your community and through your initial contacts, you can set up a meeting with the people who might be interested to participate. It is very important though that they understand the concept of community kitchen its general and particular objectives, long-term as well as the short-term goals. From our experience with our community kitchens, it is equally important to listen to their inputs and comments. Once you have discussed the objectives and goals, listening to them will play a crucial part in the success or failure of your kitchen. 
the mechanics and technicalities should be left for them to decide what food that they they want to cook the scheduling so you should leave these things up to them so we had a meeting with uh, our contacts in the community we discussed the concept of community kitchen that it's not charity it is basically how to build stronger relationships in the community through the community kitchen it solves so many problems like the immediate need for food it should be a venue for listening to other people sharing stories once we have explained to them the concept and the goals and the objectives of the community kitchen so then the discussion about the technicalities and the mechanics for running the community kitchen was discussed we talked about what are the most available vegetables uh, available in in the community you should also discuss diet culturally uh, identifiable diet i think is very important because i remember a few years ago someone donated italian style spaghetti sauce for our community kitchen and so we cook italian style spaghetti and well you know the filipinos they love their sweet spaghetti and of course the people in the community were very polite but we heard so many feedbacks that they don't really like italian style spaghetti so i think uh, culturally identifiable food is very important yeah it's we one lesson our, learned we love our sweet spaghetti <laughs> yeah sweet spaghetti jollibee yeah and jollibee hot dog spaghetti <laughs> yeah sugar <laughs> and evaporated milk <laughs> our volunteers i cooked spaghetti for them and then i just gave them the money to buy the uh, ingredients for for the spaghetti and then they bought evaporated milk and condensed milk for the spaghetti yeah for the spaghetti mm. Mm. so it's not only carb loaded it's sugar <laughs> sugar yeah. <laughs> we just leave it to them what they want to cook what they want to serve and uh, since public or communal kitchens here in the philippines is really very common you can see them during fiestas birthdays wake wedding any occasion it is a natural thing for our communities here in laguna to hold public kitchens so they know who owns the biggest cauldron or who has all the utensils that we need to have for our community kitchen in these times during pandemic we should remind them to always observe physical distancing because it is the only way that the local government units is letting us uh, hold our community kitchens is because we assured them that there will be no mass gatherings physical distancing will be observed so what we do is we just look big open space we set up tables which is also very common here because of the fiesta culture that is where we prepare our food and that is where we cook them because we are trying to minimize the use of plastic that's why we need a lot of volunteers to carry the big pots from mm. house to house and then we just knock on the doors and then ask for their big bowls so that we can give them their share we also provide relevant information of course regarding covid-19 the update of the government's action or inaction in solving the crisis right now we are flooded with so many complaints of workers who haven't received their aid from the government yet or since we are now under uh, the modified enhanced community quarantine where workers are now asked to report for work we received so many complaints of having no transportation because there's no jeepneys and tricycles are not yet allowed to travel so sometimes the workers walk Two or three kilometers, just just to be able to go to the nearest shuttle pickup, and then companies 
who previously do not provide uh, shuttle uh, services but are now obliged by the uh, IATF to provide shuttle services. They collect 70 pesos a day for the shuttle service. And the minimum wage here in our community is only 373 minus 70 pesos your take-home pay or is roughly wow. 300 pesos. So our community kitchen, aside from providing immediate relief, also serves as a venue for airing out of grievances. So we are currently upgrading the skills of our volunteers. We had a discussion yesterday uh, regarding mass testing and the different programs of the government, the guidelines released by uh, the Department of Labor and the Department of Trade and Industry. We need to provide more skills and knowledge to our volunteers as well because they are the ones who receive the complaints because they go door to door. We receive a lot of questions about the guidelines because the guidelines says one thing, but their uh, companies, they say other things. So there's a confusion. So they need someone to explain to them what is really is on the guidelines and what is to be done if their companies do not comply with the guidelines. We are trying to set up like a occupational health and safety committees in our uh, communities because it is a workers' community and we see that occupational health and safety should not stop in the workplace. It should continue and it is very connected to their communities. So we are trying to bridge the gap the occupational health and safety situation in the workplace and in the community. But we're having difficulties meeting people up because most of them are reporting for work already. So maybe on Sunday, uh, on their rest day, we can have a meeting to, to discuss the possibility of setting up like uh, community-based occupational health and safety committees. Maybe start with monitoring if their companies are compliant and what can they do. So Emma, I'm thinking that the whole process is not only about community building, but it's also about sharing information to the community that you're working with. It reminds me yeah. of like you go to a, uh, a Filipino party. So instead of gossiping, you are basically sharing info instead of like gossiping, yeah. right? Yeah. Of course, we're still gossiping. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. It's a- yeah, it's the favorite pastime of the Filipinos, gossip. Yeah, yeah, but you know, sometimes we would think it's gossiping, but actually it's a way for people to release stresses of the day, of their lives. So like mm. another role of Community Kitchen is to address not just hunger, but also the mental stress, right, induced yeah. by lockdown. Like, do you gather oh, we- like... Or while you're cooking, or how would you say it helps release the mental stress? Usually, these discussions happen when we are preparing food, while chopping the onions and garlic for our pansit. It, it usually happens during those times. Sometimes, because their husbands are also helping chopping firewood, sometimes they would ask their husbands to gather more firewood, just so that they can talk about their husbands. <laughs> so yeah, it usually happens when we are uh, preparing food or sometimes because we also hold like short assessments of the how did the operation of the kitchen went. And then during these uh, sessions, that's the time that they share uh, the stories or that's the time that they forward the complaints to to us and ask us um, what needs to be done. So actually, the resolution for a discussion on the uh, released guidelines by the Department of Labor came out from these assessments because they said that when they are distributing food, the workers are asking them regarding the guidelines and they say that it's very hard to say I don't know all the time. 
Mm. You can say, I don't know the first time, but it's hard to say, I don't know the second or the third time. So they requested for a thorough discussion on the guidelines and how can they explain it better to the workers. Mm. Emma, thank you so much for those information. I think I've learned so much in how to um, in how to create a community kitchen and how it's related to uh, community building. Yeah, um, personally, I learned so many things as well. I thought community kitchen is just cooking food and feeding people, but our experience in our community kitchens here during the time of pandemic is really different. I learned so many things. But also, things don't run smoothly all the time. There are also challenges along the way. But I think as long as we are willing to learn from from the people, uh, the people believe in the objectives and goals of the community kitchen, no problem will be left unsolved. So far... We have discussed a lot of gains and positive and wonderful experiences that we have through our community kitchens. But this is not always the case for all the community kitchens. Of course, we are sharing all the uh, wonderful experiences, but there are also the not so wonderful and even for some traumatic experience about the way that the government looks at these initiatives by different organizations and volunteer groups. We will be interviewing one of the Marikina 10 because of their own experience with uh, the way that they were handled by the police when they were doing their community kitchen. We will be hearing from uh, one of their volunteers at the next part of our podcast.
tricycle and jeepney drivers in our barangay in industrial valley complex, Hichorlandes Marikina City. Then, March 19th, the first beneficiary are the pedicab or the bike drivers who stopped pedaling because of the ECQ. So on, uh, we realized that we don't want dole out culture or to give money food or something else that can be divided only to several people. We want them also to join the Bayanin Hand and be a volunteer to their neighbors or fellow drivers. So they are the ones who wrap and distribute the relief packs to their fellow drivers. Then we were able to share information and give flyers of citizens' urgent response and COVID-19 or the Cure COVID Network. The flyers contains on what is COVID-19, what is the importance of wearing the face mask, and sharing basic information on how they can protect themselves to COVID-19. So the distribution continued to the tricycle drivers and jeepney drivers. Same concept of the earlier wrapping and distributing of the relief goods the community develops a concept of unity in times of disaster. The advantage of this community, every time that there is a flood due to the typhoon, they are helping each other. But this pandemic shows how fortified the unity of the communities. At the same time, when we give relief packs to the pedicab drivers, we also launch the community kitchen while distributing the relief packs for the drivers. And this is in partnership with the Bayanihang Marikeño at Marikeña. The network are the ones who solicit and distribute the ingredients for the feeding in different barangays in Marikina, wherein our women organizers, leaders, and chapters live. So as of now, we have 30 kitchens, the whole no, uh, Bayanihang Marikeño, Marikeña. They have a uh, bayan nihang kusina for almost 30 kitchens. Then 18 of the kitchens are from Anoy, Gabriela Women's Party Chapter. Through this community kitchen or collective efforts of the people in the community, we are breaking the culture of selfishness and developing community discussions. Even if it's a personal problem, a community problem, economic problem, or human rights violations uh, during pandemic. The advantage of the community kitchen also is the community fed their neighbors who lost their jobs during the pandemic. And the concept of community kitchen is a good example which should be developed by the society. So we develop, ano eh, um, in time of crisis, there is a social solidarity and cooperation play a vital role in making the lives of those who are in greatly burden somehow easier. So in response to the pandemic, the relief operation led by Dingap Gabriela and Gabriela Women's Party, aside from uh, community kitchens, distributing uh, relief goods or packs, it is composed of public information campaign. And of course, community kitchens in partnership with the Bayanihang Marikeño at Marikeña. I can imagine that we are doing a lot of things in the community. You said we're having community discussions and it brings the culture of individualism and it encourages social solidarity. Now, the concerns when it comes to the pandemic is the issue of social or physical distancing. So how are we able to do that? while doing everything that we want within the community? Like, what measures do we follow or ensure that uh, we are all doing just so we won't be the source of infection or, you know, we won't put added burden to our community? In the community, when we are giving lipak or food, they have one meter social distancing. They are also bringing their own bowls. We are knocking their doors, then we are getting their bows. We are ensuring that all the people are giving information before they get really packed or food. So we are ensuring that. Based on the mm. sharing of Dimpol, I am very impressed because the Philippine government or everybody else is telling us to observe social distancing and i know it, it has taken a toll on most people 
imagine being locked up in your own homes the usual uh, social activities that you do are not allowed during the time of the enhanced community quarantine but one thing or one beautiful thing that i see in the practice of uh, community kitchens is social solidarity while everybody is screening social distancing we are doing uh, social solidarity while observing Uh, and while making it sure that physical distancing is observed. And also one more thing, you're distributing food, you go around door to door, no? You go around knocking on houses. So the use of plastic is also minimized because instead of individually packing them using plastics, you just ask for their big bowls and that's the time that they distribute the... Because the plastic uh, here in Marikina is strictly prohibited. Oh, that's right. Oh, which uh, which is yes. very good. Because I can imagine if you have 30 kitchens and you would individually uh, put them or pack them in individual plastics. And I can only imagine how many plastics. Pero it's good that plastic use in Marikina is banned. So, Actually, while doing... It's expensive if you have plastic. Uh-uh. Thing yeah, it's another expense if we use plastic. The Bayanihang Marikenya Marikenyo have 30 kitchens in, I think, seven barangays in Marikina. But 18 of their kitchens are areas where the organizers, leaders, and chapters of Gabriela Women's Party, mm-hmm. they implement the discussions, the orientations, and of course, they manage the kitchens. Actually, for example, here in Industrial Valley Company, the nanas or the mothers, when they are cooking breakfast, example, champurado or lugaw, no? They are cooking uh, early in the morning, 6 a.m., then they are using wood-burning stove, then by 8 a.m., they are going to knock on the houses. They are giving breakfast. Or if they are going to cook lunch, so they are going to cook for... For example, Miswa or Mungo, they are going to also to cook by 10.30 a.m. Then they will serve it by 12 noon. It's not a full day, but uh, at least every other day, they feed their neighbors. Three nanas and the distributors are the drivers. Some drivers are mobilizing for, uh, for cooking in the community. Then, or to cook some food or whatever food that is, is available in Bayanihang Marikeño Marikeño or the donations that we receive from the different individuals and organizations. So usually uh, it is the women who do the cooking and then the men would help them and these drivers who were out of work usually do the distribution of the food packs. Oh yes, the food can serve at least 50 families Here in Industrial Valley, in one day, we have six kitchens. So the communities are helping each other how to feed their neighbors, their, the drivers who lost their jobs or livelihood. The essence of the social solidarity and cooperation really play a vital role in making feed those who are in, in greatly burdened. It's really interesting that not only these community kitchens provide immediate uh, relief to the people in the community, but also they play the role of providing much-needed information regarding the pandemic. These kitchens also share to the people what needs to be done or what has been the effort of the government or the lack of the effort of the government. So not only we are feeding them, these kitchens also give them much-needed information where we are right now. Are we flattening really the curve or are we really in the second wave of the pandemic or the spread of the virus? So that's really uh, impressive. Actually, uh, while providing services, we are active in the communities in demanding the government to lay down comprehensive medical solutions by responding to the economic needs of the Filipino families. Specifically, we demand for free and systematic mass testing, enhanced contact tracing, and this is surveillance. 
protection for health workers or uh, and frontliners. Another one is sustainable sanitation and disinfection driving in the communities. And then, of course, it is very important to sustain public information campaign about the disease and ways on how to prevent it. Then the communities are also demanding for the immediate emergency relief. Another thing also, expanding the public health system and providing universal social protection. Then uphold and protect and defend people's human rights. Because we want all of these things, it's from the government. Mm -hmm. Is it why you guys were arrested? Yeah, I think so. But ano eh, um, oh my God. when we get arrested, it's a different thing eh. Kasi when we caught us, we are feeding. <laughs> but this is, I think this is not the reason why. Before May 1, they are saying that they are going to, to secure the areas, even Marikina. So I think this is the reason. But we know that the, all of the oppositions or the people who demand the demands of the people, so they are going to harass or arrest or uh, everything. So, Can you tell us what happened? Like, did you expect this at all? What were the uh, charges against you? Illegal assembly and violation of the Public Assembly Act and Article 1.5, Revised Penal Code in relation to the ano, Bayanihan as one act. We know that May 1 is the commemoration of International Working Class Day. So we wake up early in the morning. This is uh, in partnership and cooperation with Bayanihang Marikenyo at Marikenya. Uh, Batibot Early Learning Center and Lingap Gabrela, together with jeepney drivers of our community. So we are cooking and feeding the street. One of the drivers wrote uh, in Tagalog, the exact word that they wrote there is ayuda, ibigay na sa amin pambili ng gatas ng anak ko. So, we did the cash aids for the meal of my daughter. And of course, and as a support to the Marikina City Local Government and our call for free mass testing, we also wrote, we support Marikina City free mass testing. While we are distributing and eating macaroni soon, the drivers are also bringing their own bowls for the macaroni soup for their families. We have orientation and discussion for the requirements of cash aids of the DSWD and the DGP drivers. Picture and the two drivers and I are eating the macaroni soup with social distancing. So we were surprised that we were surrounded by about 15 to 20 police officers shouting and asking us what we do. So we tell them that we have a feeding to, to the drivers. We respond respectfully and calmly. But they are shouting and they are asking for our ID and permit to conduct a relief operation. So we provide all of the things that they need. So even our permit for the distribution of the relief. So we provide all of the things. But the arresting officer insists that we need to go with them in, in the barangay. Though we are still asking what is our uh, violation to so go with them. We assert our rights, but they insist on us. My soup was thrown away while teacher Lita are carrying the bowl of her soup. We are about to ride. The 10 of us in one police mobile, I said to the police officer that, Sir, you will lead us all in one mobile? We even don't have social distancing. I'm talking to the arresting officer. Suddenly, the arresting officer called another mobile. Then we ride when in anticipation that they will bring us in the barangay only. When we ride to the mobile, then police officer on the police mobile that we rode is asking if why we were arrested. I answered, <laughs> why you don't know? <laughs> then he told us that they are clueless, you know? Then someone told him and said that we would be taken to Marikina City Headquarters. They are interrogating our company drivers and asking them to write their names in blank paper. Then I told the drivers not to write anything because no one is answering what is our violations for one and a half hour. The arresting officer appeared and he told us that we are violating enhanced community quarantine. But there is no particular things in law that discussing what we have violated. Arresting officer are calling me 
to stand because they are going to put on the handcuffs to me and to Charlita. So without social distancing, because we were in the we were in a one handcuff only. You know? While they are putting the handcuffs on us, I started to cry and telling them that it is not a crime to feed hungry people. So they respond, they laugh at us and said that all of you, you are going to jail. Continue your feeding there. They told us. So after that, we have handcuffed teacher Lita and I and the other Marikina team. So they took us to the hospital among Rodriguez, which are so many cases of COVID-19. We told them that teacher Lita is a cancer patient and she is prone easily to COVID, but they are not listening to us. They insist to have an x-ray without disinfecting those machines. In short, we are exposed to to the hospital no after that that the media the TVs are continue to come to us and have an interview the police are saying to us that don't make interview to the uh, TV media we are still ano eh, waiting for our ano lawyer that time 3 pm the lawyer told us that they are going to inquest us because our case is Illegal assembly and disobedience to the ano, public authority. That is the first time that we hear our violations that the police did not answer us earlier before they took us. So from the police headquarters, you were taken to a COVID hospital? Yes. Why? So, actually, we don't understand that time. Because they are not telling us what is our violations, that they even not reading uh, our ano, Miranda, right? No? Yes. Yeah, Damang Rodriguez Hospital was identified as a COVID hospital. So, yes. despite of that, and despite you telling them that teacher Lita is a cancer patient and therefore is very prone to uh, not only COVID but other types of infection. They, they, they still insisted on doing the medical legal procedures in that hospital. Because before that we are asked, are we really going to a mom? They said that we are just going outside. But later on, we are going inside to, to have an extreme. So we observe different violations on our rights, especially in, in time of COVID. We really feel that they are not sincere on implementing the ECQ for health concerns. So we feel that it's nothing for them. Well, after that, and they took magshots on us. They are forcing us to wear dirty yellow shirts worn by the accused. The 10 of us are wearing the dirty yellow shirt. It shows that they are not concerned to the health of the arrested people like us. You were arrested before 10 a.m. and you only were informed of the charges by 3 p.m. Yes, oh, oh. Yeah. You just inform our charges is ano, illegal assembly. And the lawyer are, ano, are the one who telling us, not the arresting officers or ads other police office, which stay for one night. We are waiting for the online transaction of the PNP to the prosecutor. But the prosecutor said that they are not going to, to have a result for the same day. They need to read and it is very late for the prosecutor to decide. When they file the case, it's already, I think, 5 or 4.30. Then we stay for a long night. We also were operating our community kitchens on that day. We are simultaneously operating our three community kitchens when we heard news that 10 people doing community uh, kitchen were arrested. And I can only imagine because you wake up in the morning, you're planning how to manage the kitchens, thinking about how to improve the operation of the community kitchen. You were eating macaroni soup when you were arrested and you were taken to a COVID hospital, handcuffed, and you were not informed of your charges. They did not read to you your Miranda rights. And the problem is our president is really crazy and it's really very brave of all of you that despite what happened, you're continuing the operation of the community kitchen, right? Mm-mm.
after the arrest, after the charges were filed, how has it affected the community? How did the people react to this? And did it so fear, as I would say, as the objective of the police for arresting you guys? Did it create that fear that, okay, let's not do this anymore because you might go to jail as well? Uh, what was it like after the uh, arrest? Actually, May 2, we released by uh, for further investigation. So we still have supposedly May 20 and 27 hearing for us to explain everything, to provide a sworn statement and affidavit. Uh, May 2, actually, the drivers are welcoming us. <laughs> All of the drivers that they are people, they are excited to see us and they are crying actually because they are so guilty because some of them are uh, running that time so they feel a guilt and everything but it shows that they are very angry on what happened so the, there is a fear but it's the feeling continued after we're arrested they cook immediately for their neighbors and fellow drivers fear is that the primary concerns of the driver actually the, the drivers uh, shows that they are very brave on what is happening the discussions and orientation actually organizing to them this is very, very important to cover the fear they continue the, ano, the services that we are ano, we are providing ano ang aming kasalanan pagnasaan ang lupang tiwangwang to the people who are listening right now, of course, do not afraid of doing the right thing. Do not afraid to defend our rights, no. And of course, do not afraid to provide services, especially when you are doing like a community kitchens or um, doing a relief operations. So, of course, we are also encouraging all of the people to have a vital role in our society then explore and develop the community efforts. Please be reminded that hindi krimen ang magpakain ng kapwa mo taong nagugutong. So, thank you and uh, God bless to all of you. <laughs> Maraming salamat, Dimple, for taking time to chat with us and to share your experiences. But I really just want to highlight what you have said of that, that in times of any calamities or disaster or challenge and struggle, people are still uniting. We still build communities because this is how we survive, right? So I really appreciated that. And also, Emma, you know a lot about food, the Filipino experience, the community building through food. So I really cannot wait to keep on building with all of you. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast for today and I can't wait for our next podcast. You've been listening to the second episode of Kumsta Kumare the monthly podcast of Napisev's Persama-sama Project Philippine Team. We hope that you've had as much fun listening as we did in making this episode for you and that you've learned more about our work, our experiences, and current situation. By persisting in our efforts in building strong and meaningful relationships and communities, we will definitely overcome whatever challenges that are before us in this pandemic and bersama-sama, we shall prevail and will continue to gain victories, big and small. For more information about NAPISEV and the bersama-sama project, please visit our website at napisev.org. See you all in our next episode. This project is supported by the NOAA Foundation.